Well, welcome to The Crossing today, and it is Christmas time. So if you've been in denial, it has arrived whether you wanted it to or not, and it's an awesome season. We want to welcome all of you that are watching at our various locations, and I'm going to mention them. Hopefully I don't leave any out. We're at Midtown. If you're watching there, you're at West Henderson. we got folks in St. George and microsites like in Pahrump that are able to join us, and it's incredible that we can have this technology and are able to do that. And so we're spread across many locations, but we're one church, and we're functioning together and, and doing life together and serving. God together. I want to mention one thing is that we do have Christmas services coming next weekend. And so whatever location you're at, you need to make sure and check the specific service times for that. And then make sure that you do get those invites that are available at all the exits, whether you get a card or you can even download a digital invite and you can text it out to all your friends at like 3 a.m. and tell them to come and be part of the service. But we want you to choose a service at your location to attend. But then we also want to candidly invite invite you, but also appeal to you to help us facilitate those services. So we always say it this way is attend one, and hopefully you've invited somebody to be there with you, but then also serve at one. And whether you serve regularly in that sp specific area, we want to invite you as we will have thousands across our locations that will come. And so some of our teams will be stretched to the max. So let me give you some of them. Our guest services team, we need your help. Our facilities team, wherever you are, need your help. And and our early childhood specifically because we'll have kids. And so even if you're like, man, I only want to do that once, that's great. We just need you to do it that once and to be a part of it. So here's what you do. Go to the Next Steps area wherever you are at. And there's a couple clicks there on the kiosk and you can sign up and we'll follow up with you. You'll show up and serve at that service. And here's the deal. You're not just serving. You're activating the ability for people to really discover Jesus as a part of our Christmas services by giving a bit more of your time this holiday season. So we really, really appreciate it. Well, I am... I am a lover of Christmas. I love Christmas. I even have my Christmas socks on today. There they are. You check it. Some of you are jealous. All right? Don't be haters. But I, I, I am not one of those, those people, and I know it can be brutal. I know there are elements of the season that can be a bit overwhelming, but I'm not one of those cynical people. I love all of the things that come along with Christmas, and, and, and they're so awesome. And my wife and I, we got to spend a few days in New York City a few weeks ago. And if, you, if you're ever cynical about Christmas, go to New York, because they know how to do it. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, you walk through Manhattan, and every tall building, they have large wreaths hanging on the walls and massive trees that are going on and it feels like everybody's singing carols as you walk through the streets and there's tree lightings that are happening everywhere these these big gigantic trees in every city park there and every night of the week there's like a tree lighting that's going on and then there's Macy's now I know we have Macy's in Las Vegas but Macy's on 34th Street is like none other it is eight stories of Christmas just throwing up over and over again. It, it is fantastic. And so my wife and I went there a number of times. I believe with the eight stories that there's probably people who came to see the Thanksgiving Day Parade who are still stuck in Macy's, who cannot find their way out. It is, it is a bit overwhelming, and there's just stores within the store. But there's one particular store that caught my attention that they, they opened on the mezzanine there, and it's called simply The Story. 
the story. And, and I thought, that's pretty cool. And we went up, and you go through this, this opening. It says the story. And here's what's really up there. It's just all these unique and random gifts or items and presents that you, you might give to someone. I mean, it was, it was really random stuff. And, and it was interesting to me because I thought about this idea of story and what they're trying to do, which is cool promotion. But I thought, this has no connection to anybody's story unless you like knickknacks and random gifts. It doesn't. But it did get my attention because I thought about the story. Because we're at that time of year at Christmas where we believe this is the ultimate story. And we hope that your story, because everybody's story is unique, will connect to God's story. And Christmas is one of the biggest moments, the biggest moment of that story. And so I got to, it got me thinking about how Christmas sort of is a marker of our life's narratives. For many of us, every time Christmas comes around, it's sort of a pause, and we reflect, and, and in, in some ways, whether you really pay attention to it or not, it sort of marks the changes and the transitions of your life, because you'll often hear yourself saying or singing, last Christmas, boom, right? And so I thought about the, the 30 or so Christmases that my wife and I have spent together. We've been married almost 30 years, and I remember the very first Christmas, we were only married a few months, and we didn't have much, and so we were living in this apartment, and we were in the Pacific Northwest, and when you live in the Pacific Northwest, you don't go buy a tree, and you can't have one of those artificial trees, so you have to go cut down your tree. So we went and cut down a tree that probably had 10 more years of growth in it, <laughs> and we put it in our apartment, and I remember buying the first gift for my wife. I bought her a VCR. It was expensive, man. Do you know you can buy a VCR now for $19.99 on Amazon? And they'll probably throw in some other things. And so I brought the VCR home, and it broke the very next day, and we had to return it back. But I just remember that Christmas. We got snowed in. We watched Christmas movies on our 19-inch black and white, no lie, not making it up, eating hamburger helper. And it was not sad. It was awesome. And then by the next Christmas, we were living in Vegas. And when we moved to Vegas, we didn't have any immediate family. And we're this young couple and people in the church we were working at that time, they would invite us over. And it was awesome because we would have not just one Christmas, but we would just bounce. So we would go from Christmas to we'd be like, we got to go. And we'd go to somebody else's house and we would be hungry and we'd eat more turkey and more ham and all that. And we'd do like Christmas four or five times. It was incredible. Lots of gifts for the young, poor couple. And then our first child was born, Ashley. And when you have a child, some of you have experienced this, some of you will experience this. When you have a child, it changes everything. I mean, she was only three months old her first Christmas, but of course, we had to buy gifts for her, right? She couldn't hold her neck up, but we had to buy gifts for her. And you add decorations because that's what you do when you have a child. And, and, and in seriousness, the season with the, with the kids seemed to take on a little bit more meaning. And then a few years later, our family grew. We added Austin to the party. And we, we then had to be strategic and intentional. Gifts, of course, were still apart. But now, as a parent, any good parent knows, you have to make sure and count. Because you need an equal amount of gifts per child. And if you don't think they're counting, mom and dad, you are wrong. There is an ongoing tabulation that is happening. And in the midst of this, we love the season. We're trying to make them aware of the holy narrative that is at the center of this story that we are a part of. 
And they got older and the gifts got more expensive. But our experiences together became more meaningful. And then we began to be intentional. We wanted to make sure, as many of you do, that our Christmases involved some element of serving, that we weren't just getting, but that we were actually giving together. And then the first one went away to college. Then a few years later, the second one goes away to college and the nest is emptying out and it's awesome. (laughs) But then you look forward to them returning at Christmas. It becomes part of your story. And the gifts are still a part of it, but being present together became even more huge. A few weeks ago, my daughter got married about three weeks ago. And so now we realize that the story shifts again. Because now she's got this dude. (laughs) And so, you know, we get the call, the text. You know, we're not going to be able to come home for Christmas because we're going to be at our home. I'm really excited about it. (laughs) But in all seriousness, it's part of the story and the changing story that goes on. And all of you, if you had the opportunity, could tell, or maybe you're beginning to think through that lens of how every Christmas, when it comes, December 25th, and all the festivities that go along with it, is also part of the narrative, the story that God is telling in your life, the story of your family's life, the stories of, of others and friends around you, and what that means. And through all, and though all of our stories continue to shift, continue to change, The story of Christmas at the heart, not the story that Macy's is necessarily telling, but the story of Christmas, God's arrival, it still is this. It's still good news. It's still good news. Remember that announcement? Remember in Luke chapter 2? Here's how it's described in the message paraphrase. This is a paraphrase, and I love it because it changes up what you've normally heard. It says this, there were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood. Come on. That's awesome. They're out in Summerlin, and there's shepherds camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep, and suddenly God's angels stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them, and they were terrified. And then the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce, and this is the part you have to get, a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town, a Savior who is Messiah and Master. So when the announcement of Jesus' birth first happened, in the story it was described as good news and it was described as great and joyful. And Scott unpacked this so well in the first week of this Reconcile series. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. But not only is it good news that is great and joyful, but we have to be clear that God is reconciling the world not just you and I, to him, because it is for everybody. It's for the Jews, the Gentiles, the Romans, the Samaritans, the Republicans, the Democrats, the Independents, even those who love soccer, all people. It's for everybody, this good and great news. And whenever you hear good news, you want it to be true, don't you? If this was the news, check this, if this was the news, donuts will increase your life expectancy. Some of you, you are assuming that is true. 
You, you, you're living as if you're going to live a long time. And you're behaving that way. Imagine if that was news. This is the best news ever. Most of us would see this as good news. I can eat all the donuts I want, and the more I eat, the longer I will live. And we would hope it was true, and we would begin to live it out even if we weren't sure it was true. Just based on the fact that it is good news. Now, the, the original version of the good news was actually called this. It was called the gospel. You've heard this term before, the gospel. They called it that from the beginning. It's these, these two old English words that mean God's spell. And if you break it down, it really is really just a good story. So even from the beginning, in the first century, when this story of Christmas was being told, when this holy narrative was being shared and shared and shared, they were saying, this is good news. And they were living in tumultuous times. There was division. There was lack of unity. There was chaos. But they would go around and they would tell this story of a Messiah being born. And they would say, this is the gospel. This is God's story. And it is great and joyful news. And the message of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus caught on. And people got excited about that. And I don't know about you, but when I get excited, sometimes I'll sing. Now, I'm not going to do that now. You're welcome. But all of, some of you are in denial, but you know you do. You, you sing when you're by yourself. It's not for public consumption, but maybe you're in the shower and you've got some good news. And so you're joyful. And so you start the morning with some kind of tune, Bon Jovi, whatever your favorite thing is. Or maybe you're in the car and you checked your email. You got a text while you're, while you're getting ready to go to work. And it's like, this is going to be a great day. And so you crank up the radio or your Spotify or your, or your Apple Music. and your jam, Or you, maybe you're just grumpy in the morning. I don't know. But you've pulled up next to somebody who had some great joy, and you've watched them just jam out at the stoplight, and you thought, I don't know what they have, but I want some of that good news, right? I want some of that great joy, because singing is a response. And before Jesus was even born, Mary, Mary wrote a song. It's not normally that, we don't really include it that often in the Christmas story. It's kind of weird. We kind of leave it out and blow through it. But before, before Jesus even showed up, Mary was a songwriter. She was. She, she wrote a song because she understood the good news. She had a lot to rejoice in. And so she, she wrote it down in response to what God was doing in her life. She chose to, re, to trust God rather than resist the calling, even though she knew for the rest of her life she would be misunderstood for what was about to happen. And we catch a glimpse of Mary and how she saw this good news of great joy. And why wouldn't she? I mean, you're a young girl in a desolate village, forgotten, and suddenly God places you at the center of his plan to rescue the world. And that's pretty great. And when you're a pregnant teenager with a fiancé who finds out and doesn't abandon you, I mean, that will make you joyful. And so Mary wrote down some lyrics and it isn't your Christmas carol you normally are used to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a theologian, he wrote these great words. I want to read them to you about Mary's song. And I'm going to sing it here in a second, but this is, I'm teasing. This is what um, he wrote. He said, the song of Mary is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. Like, why haven't I read this? We go on. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy nativity, can I add, Mary, whom we sometimes see in paintings. 
This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, It is instead a hard, strong song about the power and the mercy of God. And that is great, good, joyful news. And the predominant theme of this song we're about to read is this idea of mercy. It's actually Hebrew poetry. So in Hebrew poetry, when you want to emphasize something, you repeat it over and over again. And so Mary wanted to talk about mercy. That was, that was at the heart of the good news. And so here's, here's how the song goes. This is, this is kind of verse one. All right, You make your own tune. Feel free. But here's what she said. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, verse 2, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And then in verse 50, here comes the mercy thing, kind of the chorus. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to to generation. And then she repeats the idea again in verse 54. She says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be what? Merciful. Merciful. Now, the word used in the Greek language here that we translate mercy is this word it's Elios. Elios. It's a great word because when we think about mercy, there's a lot of images that may come to your mind. When you think about Little League baseball, you know, 10, 11 years old. Most leagues, when the kids, little guys go to play baseball, they have what they call a mercy rule. So if one group of little kids is beaten up really bad, the other team of little kids, at some point the adults step in and go, we're going to call the mercy rule. We're going to relieve their pain, and we're going to end the game. Or maybe you played mercy when you were a kid, right, where you interlock your your fingers with somebody else, and then you pull down, and you see who's the strongest, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait until somebody says what? Mercy. And then hopefully you let go. This is what we think about Elias, about mercy. That's what we think about that. But in reality, that is a really limited way of understanding it, because mercy is about when you're in pain and someone provides relief. So for Mary, when she said God is merciful, she understood that God would step in and he would provide relief. But Elias also goes further than that because it also speaks to mercy as being God's loyalty to people. That God is merciful. He doesn't abandon us. That even when we are not loyal to God, he remains loyal to us. And Elias is the New Testament version of this Hebrew word. It's the same word. It's hesed. Say it with me. Hesed. Now, if you didn't spit on somebody near you, you didn't say it right. All right? It's got to come from, like, your throat, like, like hesed. All right? Try it again. Spit. All right? That, if, and then you're good. And hesed is the Old Testament, the Hebrew way of saying this. And these two words, elias and hesed, are so powerful. Right? Because they speak of this relief of pain, but in the fullness of their meaning, here's what they mean. It's, it says this, is that the consistent, this is God's mercy, ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of God. That's mercy. 
That's good news. That's great news. That's joyful news. That's something that Mary wrote a song about and you might even sing about. Because it's that kind of story that is at the heart of this season. So when God has mercy on us, he is offering us consistent, ever faithful, pursuing, lavish love. So Mary's celebrating this Elias, God's Tested, and that is good news. And it's good news for you and I. Why? Because we are so inconsistent, right? I can be so irritable. I can have my own issues. I'm so glad for God's mercy. The Bible says his mercy is new every morning. And I need that. But here's, here's what we have to be sure and understand and pay attention to. Our lives are not designed by God. And our stories that we're living out are not being lived out just to receive God's mercy. But our lives are here to express God's mercy. And that is a challenge when it comes to this good news of great joy. Because our world that you and I live in every day is marked much more by meanness than it is by mercy. If you go on social media, you know what I'm talking about. You see the meanness at play. If you drive around our city, you see the meanness at play. In the culture of mean, God wants us to receive and he wants us to offer mercy and it's hard for us. This week, I was driving over to Midtown. So Midtown is over off of Sahara and 15 and so I left here and I'm going that way and so I take the 15 north and I get on and I get distracted. I don't know if I'm singing, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm, I'm daydreaming. And so in order to get there, you just, pretty simple, you just exit at Sahara Take that exit to the right, and then you make a left on Sahara, and you go down to Midtown. For whatever reason, I just did not get in line to exit. And there, there was a lot of traffic, and so the traffic was backed up. And so by the time I figured out that I needed to get over, there was just a line of traffic to my right that was just stretching, and I couldn't, and I couldn't get over. Now, some of you, you're that person all the time. You do it on purpose. I know who you are, right? <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. But I'm like, I, I, I got to get over. And so what do I do? You, I do what you do. I, I look over and I, try, I look at somebody and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I need to get in. Like, can I get in? And they're like, nope, 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 right? Like, nope. I'm like, oh, man. So then you kind of pull back, right? You're slowing down and you look at the next person. And you're like, hey, I, I need to get in. Can I? Nope, 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 right? Because I need to get in, right? And you're just like, man, I, I'm, gonna, I'm about to miss my turn. And so you just kind of keep slowing down. And finally you see this person and you're like, hey, I really need, can you, can you let, you know, and their car's so close, they're like bumper to bumper, they don't want you in. You're like, please, can I get you in? And finally it's like, yes, all right, come on in. And you're like, thank you for your mercy, right? I appreciate you pull into the lane. I pull in the lane. I wave. I'm like, thank you so much, right? And then like 10 seconds later, somebody's trying to get in. I'm like, nope. Nope, nope, right? Because that's how we roll. Because right? we love mercy. We're just not great at giving mercy to others. We receive it, but we don't always express it. But aren't you glad that, aren't you glad when you ask God for mercy, he doesn't say, nope, nope, nope. He says, oh, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to let you in. That's the story that was in Bethlehem. I'm going to let you in. That's why it's good news. That's why we celebrate. It's mercy. It's Elias. It's Hesed. It's God's mercy for us. And out of receiving this mercy, God calls us to extend 
his mercy to our world as well. Because each time we offer mercy, we help the world in their seeking of reconciliation with God. They don't even know the good news. But every time we act in a merciful way, we are demonstrating the good news whether they know it or not. I heard this week the story of an elderly priest. At this point in his life, he was nearly blind, but he was sought out by so many people for his wisdom and for advice. And so one day he was asked, if you could do your priesthood over again, do you have any regrets? Would you do anything differently? And this man was so filled with integrity that most of them thought he wouldn't have any regrets. But he said, yes, I have one major regret. And here's what he said. He said, if I had my priesthood to do over again, I would be easier on people the next time. I wouldn't be so stingy with God's mercy, with the sacraments, with forgiveness. I fear I have been too hard on people. They have pain enough without me in the church laying further burdens on them. And this is the part I love. Catch this. I should have risked God's mercy more. One of the realities that we in the church and we that are followers of Christ have to candidly talk about is that there are so many people in our current culture that are leaning away from faith, that are leaning away from following, that are leaning away from Christianity, that are not leaning into the good news. Maybe that's your story if you're listening today. You're leaning away from the story that began at Christmas This was with this amazing announcement because you've somewhere, someplace, one time determined that this is not good news. And I want to say it's probably not your fault. It's probably not. If you're one of those people, here, here may be why that's happening. Because at some point, you ran into some people. You were raised by some people. You did business with Some people, you went to school with some people who carried a version of the faith, a version of Christianity, who carried a version of mercy in the message of Jesus that you determined somewhere along the way was not good news. And we have a problem. If you're a follower of Christ, we have a problem. Because we need to do a better job as followers, as Christ followers, at pointing at pointing to the good news. We point at a lot of things. We point at politics, follow us there. We point at people's problems, point them out. We point at other people, say follow them. We have a pointing problem. I think we'd be better off if we would risk God's mercy more. If we would point there, and especially at Christmas, because I need it in my story. You need it. And we can really give it as individuals and as a church community. A couple days ago, we had an opportunity to literally live out mercy. At our windmill location, we were able to literally see life change happen in our partnership with Hope for Prisoners as we hosted 50 what they call hopefuls incarcerated individuals who were reunited with their family. And I wanted to show you a piece of that because it speaks to risk and it speaks to risking God's mercy more. Watch this. 
Hope for Prisoners held its yearly 50 Christmases event at the Crossing Church there in the Southwest. 50 men and women who are currently incarcerated were treated to a cozy Christmas with their loved ones. 13 Action News anchor Carla Wade was there for the sweet moment. The 50 Christmases event starts with a simple but very meaningful setup, a couch, a Christmas tree, and the presents underneath. But that's not even the most valuable part of the experience. The real value is measured in loving embraces, a broad smile, and tears of joy. It's a blessing. Um, it feels like a dream. Uh, it's like the best Christmas I've ever has. Robert Owens hasn't seen his three-year-old son Raiden in two and a half years. Raiden and the rest of his family live in Bakersfield, while Robert is in a prison reentry program here in Las Vegas. It's special to me right now. I'm, I'm very happy. My family came from out of state all the way here for this, and I want to thank John Ponder for helping me out with getting my family out here. Hundreds of volunteers work to pull off the magic of a family Christmas inside the Crossing Church. This is one of the ways that we can serve in that reentry process, that not only will they have a place to worship, but we want to help them find a place to serve and a place that they can begin to, to use their gifts again. Hope for Prisoners founder and CEO John Ponder says reconnecting families after incarceration is as crucial as connecting former inmates with jobs and housing. What has been a mismarked reentry has been that family reunification piece, making sure that we fully understand that men and women are returning back home to wives and husbands and particularly getting reintegrated with their children. So we want to make sure that that transition is as successful as you possibly can be. And for Robert, this night is a glimpse into the future he's worked toward. Bringing my family together and starting a whole fresh new start in Las Vegas area. I'm planning on bringing them out here and starting a whole new life. Hurdle Wade, 13 Action News. When you watch that, you realize that it's mercy is worth the risk. That we can be a people of mercy in a world of mean. And in a world where a lot of us are dealing with messes and where we're kind of muddling through. Let me share one more song. We listen to Mary's song. You've probably heard this familiar Christmas song. It's one of those songs that's supposed to make you, you happy, right? You, you feel like your therapist has given it to you. You know, it's the have yourself a merry little Christmas. You know the lines. Please don't sing it. It goes like this, have yourself a merry little Christmas, let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. You might not know the story behind this song that you hear played endlessly this holiday season, but it actually was originally written by a guy named Hugh Martin for the 1944 film starring Judy Garland called Meet Me in St. Louis. You may have seen the film. But originally, the lyrics to some of the song. Judy Garland read them and thought, they are way too depressing. So she asked him to change them. Let me show you one of the lyrics. It says this. It says, faithful friends who were dear to us, this is the original lyrics, will be near to us no more. That's like an empty stocking on Christmas, right? It's like, you can't do that. So they changed it. So when she sang it in the film, it was faithful friends who were dear to us will be near to us once more. That's the way you guys hear it now when it's played. 
It's powerful how one word can change hope to loss, or can change from loss to hope. But then Frank Sinatra got a hold of the song, and he was going to record it for one of his albums. I think it was called Jolly Christmas, and he said, the song is still not jolly enough. And so here's, here's the original line in the Judy Garland version of the song. It said, someday soon we'll all be together if the fates... Al- you really want me to sing right now, don't you? I know, you're dying. No, no, and no, all right? If the fates allow, then check this line. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. Frank didn't like that line, so he changed it to, if the fates allow, hang a shining star upon the highest bough. Now, I would, I would bet that a lot of us, we resonate more with the muddling than we do with hanging the star on the highest bough. It feels like that a lot, right? That we muddle, because we all muddle, and we all need mercy. We all muddle. We all need mercy. So when you see Robert, who's a hopeful, spending his last few months in prison, hoping to be reunited with his family, he's muddling through somehow. And some of you are muddling through somehow. But we all need the mercy of God, whether we're hanging stars or just hanging on. He came for people who didn't get it right all the time. That's you and I. He came for those of us who are honest, those of us who are self-aware, who understand that too often we are sinful and broken. He came for those of us who spend way too much of our lives just muddling through because in the person of Jesus Christ, God arrived into our life story, into our hearts, and now he is with us. And no matter where our story has been or where our story may be headed, God's mercy can now be a reality and in life because God is here to not only relieve pain, but to connect loyally to you, even when you're muddling through. It's a story worth living, a story worth telling. It's a story worth pointing other people to because it's good news. And the story's not a passive one. It's an active one. It's not a story we just hear in the break room at the job and chuckle and forget about. It's a story that when we hear it, and every year when we're reminded of it, it's a story that demands a response. It's good news of great joy. So over the next few days, as we start to land this plane towards Christmas in about nine or ten days, I want to ask you to ask yourself some questions that are relevant beyond the Christmas season, but are very relevant now as we consider the mercy of God that's on display in the midst of the twinkling lights and the tall trees and the, and the choruses that are being sung. I want to ask you to ask yourself these questions. Did I offer peace today? Because if it's good news of great joy, ask yourself, did I point somebody to it today? Did I offer peace? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say a word of healing? Did I let go of my anger and my resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? Did I exhibit mercy? Because that is a story. And that is good news. And that is something that you and I should be pointing others to. Let's pray together. Father, right now, in this moment, we're so grateful if we've embraced the mercy that you give us so freely. God, I pray that today, as we're listening, you would help us to consider again our need for that mercy. God, that you have provided for us again and again and again as our stories of our lives navigate ups and downs and trials and tribulations and celebrations and 
the ins and outs of life, God, that your mercy is new every morning. And God, I just pray for those who perhaps have withheld mercy to others, who perhaps have lived with sort of that posture of nope, 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 that God, during this holiday season, we would be reminded again and we would refuel again. We would replenish our hearts towards not only being receptive, but being givers of your mercy. Help us to be a church that will also continue to exhibit that, that we would lead the way in our community in reflecting who you are and who you desire us to be. God, that's our hope and our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.